With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Jared Weiss is in the building. Jared and I are going to break down the Atlantic Division and the offseason preview for each of the five teams in that division. That means we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, and the Toronto Raptors. Jared, man, how's it going? It's good. I'm ready to theorize some game here. We got a lot of strategic moves to work out here. So we've got that. It's going to be great whenever I say something like questionable. Uh, I don't. I think the viewers can or the listeners can probably hear it, but there are crickets in Jared's ba- Jared's background right now. To where <laughs> I'm assuming that every single time I say something dumb, Jared's just going to like sit there silently for a second and let the crickets take over and make me feel just like absolute shit. <laughs> It's great. I've been literally holed up in my apartment in the city for, I guess, what, two and a half months right now. And so as soon as the finals are over, I'm like, I got to get the hell out of the city. So I'm out. I'm out in the woods. I'm enjoying fresh air, nature and good Wi-Fi, thankfully. Oh, that's a dream. Uh, I'm very lucky that the Wi-Fi here at the hotel in the Sydney quarantine that I'm doing right now is great. Uh let, let's hope that that continues throughout the rest of this podcast. It's been occasionally booting my wife and I over the course of our work days. But, you know, I'm lucky enough to look out over the Sydney Harbor while not being able to leave probably like a 200 square foot room. So we're, we're rolling right along here, Jared. I mean, at least you know what you're missing out on. <laughs> yeah. Getting to look out right over the Sydney Harbor is uh, it, it's like such um, a great view. And then it's also just like fuck, I literally can't leave the apartment right now. I mean, I can't think of worse ways to spend 14 days inside. <laughs> it's Honestly, it's not bad. Like, yeah. just trying to find exercise is a little bit rough, but, like, people bring meals up, and it's for the right cause, right? Like, trying to diminish the spread of coronavirus. Hot take. That that seems like a good thing to do. So uh I, I am I'm happy to be in quarantine if it means that after that I get to go explore Australia further. So yeah. uh let's go on ahead and talk about the Atlantic division. This is a loaded division, by the way. Uh it's quite good. We were talking right before we went on air and i was just like jesus like all five of these teams are super interested or super interesting and have really interesting off seasons uh to kind of navigate here especially uh toronto with all of their free agency brooklyn navigating a new head coach and the presence of kevin durant and kyrie irving along with salary cap issues potentially philadelphia has all sorts go ahead Quick fact check there. You said you had coach. You forgot the S at the end of that for Brooklyn. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe uh, maybe Steve <laughs> is kind of on his own here. Um, but given that Mike D'Antoni has been rumored to be um, 
in the mix there. We'll see if that continues. Um, Philadelphia has some real luxury tax issues and just team fit issues that they're going to have to work through. New York has all kind of salary cap space, but the team we're going to start with is Boston. And in some ways they have the easiest off season to discuss because they have fewer options on the table than a lot of these other teams. But on the other hand, they actually have some really intricate, weird things that they have to work through due to the presence of four draft picks, a loaded roster sheet that already, I think, has 13 or 14 guaranteed deals on it, and a growing roster that is going to be really interesting to watch grow uh, over the course of the next few years. It's funny that you said four draft picks because... I spend so much time focused on the fact that they have three first rounders that I forget they still have a second rounder on top of that. Yeah. And (laughs) that's a good second rounder too, by the way. Like I think that they're going to be able to get someone of value because this is a relatively deep draft. And they, you know, a couple of years ago they took, I think it was Ben Bentel at the end of the second round. Yep. And then he didn't even make the team. It was a waste. You know, nowadays in, in an, in an era where, guys are even skipping the end of the second round so they can sign as two-way guys to have a draft pick and not even roster that guy by the time you get to the fall that's a, that that was a pretty big blunder and they they're once again for the second year in a row overloaded with draft picks they have to consolidate yeah i will say like the bentel thing was just kind of a tough spot because they ultimately were stuck with kind of it was it eight draft picks that year if i remember correctly like six draft picks it was an absurd number they had three first rounders um i believe that they also had number 35 which they sold to memphis which if i remember Mm -hmm. correctly was rade zagarats who also never played in the nba which was a bummer (laughs) um demetrius jackson was one of them bentel was one of them uh who else abdul nader was one of them as well yeah Yeah. who was good a solid rotation player (laughs) still in the nba uh and then did they also have i can't remember if they had 31 or not they might have ended up dealing 31 to memphis as well which if i remember correctly was the deontay davis pick um yeah so yeah They had a bunch of these picks, and whenever you have eight draft picks, and it's going to be similar for them this year with four draft picks even, uh, luckily they do have the advent of the two-way contract now to where they could use 48 solely to two-way someone. But you know what? Like Taco Fall still exists, and I would imagine they're probably going to try and get Tremont Waters on the roster next year. But again, this is a pretty full roster right now so i'm gonna be fascinated to see how they end up going about uh navigating this draft and how they end up navigating the crunch on the roster and this is why i love doing the show with you because we start with the celtics and we're talking about how do they roster tremont waters next year not how do they deal with gordon hayward and all that other stuff but it is a legitimate conundrum that they face where they drafted Carson Edwards last year and Tremont Waters dramatically outplayed Carson Edwards last season. So yep. how do you deal with that? It's it's a, I don't even know. I have no idea how they're going to deal with that. I do know Tremont Waters showed enough last year that he definitely should be on the roster. And Taco Falls Camp has been pretty insistent that they're confident they're going to get a guaranteed roster spot somewhere in the NBA. 
Yeah, I'm less insistent, maybe on Taco, but I didn't. <laughs> well, you have, don't represent Taco, so I'm surprised. Yeah, it didn't have a bad year. Uh, last year certainly was more effective through spurts than what I anticipated. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I can't really see how it's with Boston, if only because Daniel Tice still exists. They still have uh, our Lord and Savior Time Lord, Robert Williams. They have Vincent Poiret. And they have Ennis Cantor to deal with. And I think that the best way for them to go about, I don't even know about utilizing a draft pick to do so, but they're going to have to get off of, I think, the Cantor and Poirier deals at the end of the day. Like, I think that that's the most likely outcome here is that they move Cantor and Poirier maybe with like number 30 and bring back one player or bring back like second round picks to reduce the number of guaranteed spots that they have to deal with next year. Yeah, so I mean, Poirier, I think, is definitely going to get attached um, because they need the roster spot as much as they need to also try to. They're just close enough to the tax that they could make a ton of moves to get under that tax line, which would be very valuable for them when they get a couple years down the road and Jason Tatum's on a max deal and Jalen Brown's on a max deal and Kemba Walker's still on his max deal. And they can avoid that repeater tax where you would start making some really drastic moves at that point. So trying to get trying to really trim around the edges here uh, this year could go a long way to making some really painful decisions in the future. And I think they're going to they, they'd be willing to sacrifice some draft picks probably to be able to do that. I just don't know how far they'd be willing to go. And it's not like they have a 57th overall pick that they can attach to Poirier to get a team to take on this deal. It's like they're getting rid of a solid draft pick if, if they're if they're going to go that route. And by the way, that's assuming that Poirier comes back to the States next year because he just had a baby. He's back home in Paris. And, I, and I'm not reporting this, um, but uh, he hasn't given me any indication that he isn't planning on coming back. But I wouldn't be shocked if he decides, you know what, I can get pretty much the same money over here in uh, you know playing back home in France, and I'd rather just play in the Euro League instead of playing in the NBA where I'm barely even getting on the floor. I don't think he can get two six from a Euro League team though, even with like the differing incentives that kind of happen over there, where like you know, home, uh, housing can get paid for, and cars and food and all of that stuff. Like Euro League teams sometimes take care of different stuff than NBA teams do, but. I can't really envision a world where Poirier gets 2.6 from a EuroLeague team. I think this, at the very least, what he should do is come back to camp and just like force Celtics to cut him or something like that, Uh, or force them to trade him and then the other team cuts him and then he can go back to EuroLeague. Unfortunately, that situation just didn't really quite work. Uh, The Celtics have done a better job than any team in the NBA of mining the European free agency market. And it's worked out sometimes. Like I think Brad Wanamaker has been an undeniable success in that regard. But uh, Daniel yeah, Tice is another one. Success. I mean, look, you get a backup point guard for one point five million. Uh, that's a win at the end of the day. And sure, agreed, agreed. Yeah, Wanamaker has been great, and Daniel Tice has been an unquestioned success. Like they've done a great job finding diamonds in the rough in that marketplace, but not all of them are going to work out like Poirier didn't, you know? Sure. I mean, and just not all of your barely above minimum big men are going to turn out to be guys that are going to be bowlable for the future. I think Poirier just stood out because 
he just never played. They didn't give him any opportunity. And the game, I just wrote about this the other day on The Athletic, the game that stood out to me was they were, it was the last game before the trade deadline, and they were facing the Sixers and Joel Embiid, and I think Cantor was unavailable, and I think maybe Time Lord was also unavailable. So they had like no other center besides Poirier to get some of these minutes in the second half against Embiid. And Steven still decided to put Grant Williams out there instead of Poirier. And like the one chance you could get to show, hey, by the way, people, Vincent Poirier, who's only making $2.5 million, don't forget, he can actually go out there and play against NBA players, and they still didn't put him on the floor. And I, when I saw that, I'm like, wow, they, there is no scenario where they're going to put Poirier out there. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate, but uh, it seems unlikely that he's going to stick in the NBA. Um, they have... Let's actually do a count here. Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Daniel Tice is on a non-guarantee, but it's so low that it's an effective guarantee. Oh, it's guaranteed. Yeah. Ennis Cantor, Romeo Langford, Vance on Poiray, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Carson Edwards. That's 12 guys on a guarantee next year. They have Brad Wanamaker's... Uh, cap hold and restricted free agency. They have a player option on Shimmy Ojale, which is relatively cheap. And if they have the space, I would imagine they wouldn't mind exercising that player option. But I don't know that Ojale would necessarily love that. Uh, they have a non-guarantee on Javante Green. And then they have these three first round picks, which are also going to be guaranteed deals, plus the Tremont Water situation to deal with. At the end of the day, they really just need to make some end of the roster moves. If I was the Celtics, I'd probably be looking to attach Poirier and Cantor to like the 30th pick and try and get second round picks. I would probably look to move on from Shimmy Ojale. I would probably move one of Tremont Waters or Carson Edwards, probably Carson because Tremont looks a little bit more effective right now. And I think that you could make a case that Carson Edwards is probably still has enough value to get you back a second round pick at the end of the day, even if it's just like a late second round pick. And that opens up enough spaces for you to save some money off of the cancer and Poirier deals to potentially resign Brad Wanamaker, or at least have the option to resign Brad Wanamaker and get all of your picks under the cap. And so, and, and by the way, important thing to know is that Ennis Cantor has a player option. It's pretty uncertain what that, how that's going to play out. He'd like to find some stability. He likes Boston. He'd like to stay in Boston. He'd like to find a multi-year deal. But at this point, I think any team that's going to offer him multiple years is only going to offer him the minimum. So because he's making $5 million this year, he would lose money signing a two-year deal at the minimum. So unless he's getting you know three or four years, which isn't going to happen, it seems like opting in is the most likely outcome for him. Um, but obviously, if he opts in and then gets traded to the Sacramento, he's not going to be happy about that. So he does have to kind of figure out what's going to happen if I opt in. So his situation is going to be pretty tenuous. I know that I got aggregated saying that Ennis Cantor is planning to opt out and blah 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 which, which is not what i wrote and not not what the case is but he's gonna have to really feel out the situation yeah if i was Cantor, i would just opt in because Cantor's probably a minimum 
guy at this stage at the end of the day, like you said, and the minimum is what like what he's on next year at five million is like two and a half times what the minimum is. His best mm-hmm. move is to opt in. And if he gets moved to like Sacramento, then just raise hell and get out of there while still getting his five million or maybe giving back like four hundred thousand in a buyout or something like that. I mean, he can give up two and a half million in a buyout and still come out, you know, even as if he had opted out and taken the minimum, right? So, and I think that he's he's definitely a kind of player that if he wanted to get a buyout, he could probably pick where he could sign for the minimum from there. I think that most most teams that are that are the kind of teams he'd want to go to wouldn't mind ha- you know bringing him on to the end of the bench. Yeah. Um in terms of like the actual top of the roster here, we haven't talked about it if only because I think it's pretty cut and dry. Like Kemba is going to be there. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, all these guys are going to be there. Gordon Hayward, I think is going to be there. I can't see a world where he's opting out of 34 million next year. Um, Marcus smart. I would imagine is still there if only because I can't imagine Marcus smart, like in a different team's Jersey, but (laughs) I mean, like, if they're going to move one guy, that's just the most reasonable salary to move at the end of the day. Like, I, do you see any changes coming at the top of the Boston roster? Not really, because like they're, they're really close with the current core that they have. You know, they, they, they did really well in the playoffs without Gordon Hayward being healthy, and we saw how unhealthy he was. And, you know, Gordon Hayward was, you know, at 18 and a half, point a night, five assists a night kind of guy as the fourth option on the offense. He was phenomenal during the regular season. He was exactly what they were looking for out of him in that role. So bring it back, and there is he's going to be movable the entire year. There are going to be other teams with other players on expiring deals or even multiple years left that are getting overpaid by their current teams, and the Celtics can take that on and let you know move on from Hayward if they have to, but Hayward is kind of a perfect fit for the kind of player that they want. He he's someone who's okay with his role and is a really nice complimentary playmaker. And Smart is someone that does that, but then he just also is out of control a lot of the time. And they need to figure out a way to rein him in because if he can be a little bit more efficient and just not make some crazy decisions in the heat of the moment in important games, he's a he's a he's an incredibly impactful player on both ends. And so. You know, there's just a few things they need to iron out and they could be right there in the finals next year. Yeah, I totally agree. And they're going to get, in all likelihood, just internal growth from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They're probably going to get internal growth from some of the young guys like Grant Williams and Romeo Langford and uh, Tremont Waters. Like, even if they can get minimal growth from those guys, I think it's enormous. So... I'm not worried about Boston. I think that you're right. They're going to be right there at the end of the day. Uh, Kemba Walker, I think maybe you could make the case is the biggest long-term question mark here. But for next year, I'm not real worried about Kemba. Like, I still think he's going to be fine. I just had someone earlier today tell me that they thought that the Celtics made a big mistake uh, keeping Kemba Walker or bringing Kemba Walker because of his inability to get a shot off under postseason defenses. And so I thought that was very interesting. Obviously, um, did not come out of nowhere. Like, we saw Kemba clearly struggle to find his shot throughout games in those last two rounds. And the question is, you know, that was the first time he ever made it past the first round. 
first time he went up against two great defenses in Toronto and Miami's defense. So how does he grow from there? We have no idea. We do know he was playing on a bad knee, but right. I mean, everybody, a lot of people were playing hurt, you know? So is that, and not to mention he's had issue health issues for a long time. So is this going to continue to be an issue for him? So I don't know what to expect. I mean, we know, we know who he is in the regular season for sure. And we saw who he was against a, I guess, not mediocre defense, but certainly not the same defense from Philly that we, you know, come, came to expect from them throughout the season. Um, but we don't know how he's going to be able to scale. We, we were, opt- I, I was pretty optimistic his game would scale nicely and it did not at all. And he, he didn't even face Milwaukee, which was the team that I thought would really, really take him out of his game. So um, he needs to, he needs to figure something out beyond just his knee being healthy. He needs to have another element to his, you know, uh, coming over screen pull-up game where he can find a way to create three-pointers coming over those screens that he's comfortable taking and actually hitting. Yeah, I agree. And I wouldn't go as far as to say that the Kemba Walker contract was a mistake. I do think that there has always been some real significant downside on the last year and a half of that deal. But Oh, sure given where they are now and given that they thought that they were ready to compete sooner rather than later, I still probably would sign that deal. I mean, I I think it's a reasonable move at the end of the day. So I think that's it on Boston. Do you have anything else that you want to just note for the listeners here? Not really. I mean, you know, people are always looking to try to make trades when it comes to the Celtics because Celtics fans live for action, I guess. And well, and Smart Danny Ainge lives for the uh, lives for the trade proposal that never happens, right? I mean, everybody complains that Dan- Danny Ainge doesn't make any moves, and that but Danny Ainge, I think, makes probably as many transactions as any GM in the league. Uh, but so, I, I I just think their big priority this offseason is just to consolidate those picks and to frankly consolidate it into some sort of veteran help. They always, you know, they've generally had a philosophy of not overpaying on long-term asset value to get short-term asset value and we saw the price that they paid this year on that they didn't they were missing just like a good veteran offensive player off the bench and so i know you and i both agree that drafting kyra lewis at 14 would be a great way to build that long term but it still would not be that helpful even next year and this last season was what they were calling a bridge year before the season started and they 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 definitely exceeded that expectation but it was supposed to be a bridge to next season where they're ready to win the title. And they need to, they're not going to get enough internal growth from their young players. Um, and even just Gordon Hayward being healthy for the playoff run, so Marcus Smart could be back on the bench. That's not going to be enough to make their offense consistent throughout a game in the conference finals, which we saw was like their biggest flaw and the reason why they lost. So they need to add somebody that they can count on. They need one guy, and I think that they can probably find that in free agency with even the taxpayer mid-level. Like, I think that there's probably that guy out there. I don't think I would be willing to, like, move 14 for a veteran, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's the move. Like, I think it's more... You know, maybe you go out and you try and get like I'm thinking of trying to think of names off the top of my head, like Bryn Forbes would actually like help them offensively. <laughs> um, I was just talking about him yesterday. I love I love that pick. 
Yeah, like I think Bryn Forbes makes like a pretty real amount of sense for them. Like Etwan Moore, I think would potentially help them off the bench. Um, Former Celtics legend, Etwan Moore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, even finding someone like. I mean, like, I like Damian Dotson. Like, I would consider him. Like, obviously, that's, like, a low-level opportunity. Yeah, that's not quite enough, I think. But, like, I would take a shot on him, and I think he has a reasonable shot to be a rotation player somewhere. Um, I think that, like, certainly KCP is out of their price range. Uh, You know, Justin Holiday, I think, probably is a little bit out of their price range. I bet he gets a little bit more than the... uh, taxpayer mid-level because i i think it's going to be tough for them to get out of the tax next year totally to Mm -hmm. be honest i they're at i think it's like 145 or so something like that Uh, and let's assume the tax level stays steady at 132 even if you get off of the canter and poiray deals you're still talking that's what like seven and a half you still have seven million to go and that's before the rookie salaries I don't know, yeah. man. I think that's for a team that's genuinely trying to contend and has to balance contention with also that contention has to win every time. And I think it's going to be tough for them to get out of the tax. And they're not going to like dump Marcus smart just to get out of the tax. You know, it's like this, right. this team is more than willing to pay the tax. It's it's more about avoiding the repeater tax you know, down the road so that you have more flexibility. No and question. Also, we, we hear so often about, Team people, I've heard so many people around the league say, I don't see the Celtics as a deep tax paying team that's going to pay a massive tax bill like the Warriors or the Nets and stuff like that. And like, sure, I mean, you know, the guys that run the Celtics are not multi billionaires at that at the same level, but we don't know how deep they're willing to go. A lot of people talk about the Celtics like they're not willing to pay twenty million in tax. There's a difference between paying two hundred million in tax and twenty million in tax. And so they may find a you know a path where they're paying sixty to eighty million in tax, and they're willing to tolerate it for a year or two. Let's move to Philadelphia. Philly is in a very difficult spot. They have one hundred and forty-three million dollars guaranteed next year to Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid, Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons, Mike Scott, Zaire Smith, Matisse Thybul, and Shake Milton. So that would be nine guys at $143 million. Uh, I would imagine they probably keep Corkmaz as well. So you're all the way up to 145 ish now. Uh, <laughs> what a, uh, what a roster and one that is going to be ripe for maneuvering. Uh, one, one that I can't imagine looks the same this coming year as it did this year. You know, and the funny thing is their free agents are Neto, Burks, Robinson, O'Quinn, Pell. There's like nobody even on their free agency list that I would really want to retain. But they may might have to just so they can roster, you know, they can field enough guys. And their I mean their most obvious issue is that we don't do we expect Zaire Smith to become a contributor? Uh, I don't personally at this stage. Like they but desperately I was... need him to be. Yeah, I was always a little bit lower on Zaire uh entering the draft, uh, than some people were. And then obviously had the difficult rookie year. Not impossible that he becomes something. It would be very beneficial for them if he did hit into something. But like, I mean, they still have relatively hit the last couple of drafts. Like you hit both Thibel and Milton, given where their picks are. That's a good enough win at the end of the day, you know? 
I mean, hitting on Milton has pretty much saved their franchise. Is that that crazy to say that, I mean, he would would be completely screwed if he couldn't handle his role? He he handled his role competently. I mean, he obviously had an incredible flash, but then we saw in the playoffs, it's like, you know, he's. I think he's going to be solid enough to fill this role, but I think their ceiling is going to be lowered by the idea of him being their point guard. Um, you know, and I, I really liked him coming into the draft. I didn't see him being this kind of uh, playmaker on ball and shooter. Yeah. Uh, so I guess he'll continue to pr- improve to the point that he'll probably be a star, a solid starter. Uh, but they obviously at, at the primary ball handling position, they need somebody that's way better than a decent you know, pull-up shooter and decent passer. They need somebody that can really excel there. Yeah, they need a half-court creator. It, it can't just be someone like Ben Simmons who excels in transition and who can play that role. They need to have someone who can actually create shots in the half-court uh, via the pass and via the pull-up jumper. The problem is... Well, they got Alec the, Burks, so they got half of it. <laughs> the problem is that those guys are really hard to find. Uh, and it's really hard to trade for them. And I think that that's really their only avenue. They're going to have to move off of, in my opinion, one of Al Horford or Tobias Harris for a couple of reasons. Mostly, A, because I can't imagine that this ownership wants to pay this level of tax for this specific group of players. So you really just absolutely need to somehow transform this roster and it's likely going to have to involve a move of Al Horford along with draft picks like I think that that's that's really the only avenue here because while the Horford deal while Horford is a worse player than Tobias Harris the Tobias Harris deal lasting for four more years at like 130 plus million is a worse deal than having Al Horford for like 65 million for the next two years plus a small guarantee on year three. Well, so I guess the, the big question there, which I, I think I agree with what you're saying, but did what we see out of Tobias Harris in the first round where he just, they kept begging him to create off the dribble and he just wasn't doing it at all. Is that a definitive, is that kind of like where we, where we're at with him long-term considering he's now entering his prime? Or does he still have, did he learn from that moment and he's going to come out as a much more well-rounded player next season? Yeah. I think that's who he is as a player. Like, I think he excels best as a secondary option who takes advantage of what is presented to him at almost an expert level. Uh, He's someone who is really good at knocking down shots off the catch. He can, if you attack a, or if you close out on him heavy, he can attack that close out, get to a pull up game in the mid range, get to a pull up game from three off of one or two dribbles. He can get to the basket as a cutter. Like he can do some things. And I think it's actually going to be a really good fit with doc rivers. Because if you remember Tobias Harris's best season was that two thirds of a season with the Clippers under Doc Rivers, I do think that will help him. But he also is like a limited, he's limited to being a play finisher at the end of the day, not really a play creator. And that's okay, but it's also not someone you want to pay $130 million for four years for. For sure. But so, I just, I just, go, you said, you said that they should move off them, but 
uh, how many, how, like, how, what it, was it going to take, like, five draft picks to move off of one of those deals? <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to touch it. So I think the Horford deal isn't, it's, it's a negative value deal. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's like a total abject disaster. Uh, if Al Horford was on the market this summer, I would still bet that Al Horford gets two years, 30 million, two years, 35 yeah. million, right? Something well, especially because he look, he would look so much better in any other team in the league. Like he was, he was good last season or the season before last season in Boston. He didn't, it wasn't like his game completely fell apart out of nowhere. It said, he was playing on the team that just was a bad fit for him offensively. Right. Like you could maybe say two years, 40 million with a player option or not a player option, a team option, a team option. Yeah. Like maybe someone would be willing to just like take that shot for 20 million early. I mean, well, the, the question obviously is would new Orleans swap drew and Horford. If Philly can somehow give them enough picks to entice them. I don't, that's what Philly, that's what the Philly fans want. That's, well, that's what they need, too, from a play perspective, but I don't think that that's a move that makes sense for New Orleans at all, personally. Yeah. Um, the move that the couple of moves that I've come up with are, is there a chance that Charlotte could see Al Horford as their answer at center for a couple of years, uh, allowing them to not have to take a center at three? Maybe you do Al Horford in 21 and like 36 for Terry Rozier? I think, I mean, that would be amazing to put Terry Rozier on that Sixers team. That would be an incredible fit. Uh, it would be, a, I guess, a pretty reasonable compensation for him. But I think it would, I think he, he would just be a great offensive fit there. Um, and I, that, I just, I don't think Charlotte gets enough out of that just because you're bringing in Horford and it's not like Horford's going to change your franchise's trajectory into becoming a winner all of a sudden. So you're you're basically doing that because you think Horford's going to help turn PJ Washington and whomever they draft with this next pick into great players. I mean, I, I do think that's valuable, but completely building your roster around that and getting rid of a talented young guard in favor of keeping Graham who, I think Devontae Graham is a little bit overrated, frankly, last season. I mean, the guy, the guy's potency for putting up numbers is impressive, but he wasn't that efficient. It wasn't like you could build a really efficient offensive system around him. I still think there's probably more upside around Rogier than there is, or at least as much upside around Rogier as there is around Graham. But, I mean, if Philly can pull that off, I think that would probably be a really good avenue. My, my idea on that was, let's say that Charlotte ends up taking like a LaMelo ball at three still have Devonte Graham as like your scoring point guard. Al Horford would be a great pick and roll partner for LaMelo ball. I think that they need someone who can be a really strong pick and roll partner for a guard. If they take an elite guard at the top of this draft. And then on top of it, you get two very valuable draft picks to build off of. I mean, I'm excited just by the idea that you just said that LaMelo Mall could possibly be available at three. That's the first time I've heard that in a long time. I, um, I, look, I, if, I think LaMelo's range is a little bit wider than what um, 
you would anticipate. Uh, I don't think he gets all the way down like Knicks fans, like, and I think the Knicks front office, frankly, <laughs> has hopes that he can get down to eight. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But if he got down to five, it's not like the most bizarre thing in the world to me. Uh, I think that it's like an outside, like the outside the veil of possibility like outside the veil of probability possibility maybe um in the case of i, I think he probably goes in the top three look like I, i'm not gonna lie like i think he probably goes in the top three but i, I think top three is his range not like one or two mm-hmm. i mean i'm vice treasurer of the hayes hive so you know just any anything about Lamelo slipping opening that door for killian to go number one is what gets me excited if Killian Hayes goes number one, that'd be the upset of that. That, <laughs> that would be a bigger upset than Anthony Bennett going number one. I think if he went. Number wow. One. Well, um, then what about Denny of going number one then? Less of an upset. Wow. Oh, I, lo- I love coming on the show. It's the best teams really like Denny uh, enough to where I would not be stunned if Denny went high. Like if I, I know that uh, our good friend, Kevin O'Connor, over at the ringer just uh updated his mock draft and he is denny at two right now so really oh i haven't even seen that yet that's awesome yeah um i'd be surprised if denny got out of the top five at this stage and and to be to be clear i have no stake in killian hayes or denny adija those those are just two guys i've liked for a long time especially adija i've been watching him for a few years now and i just think he's the kind of player that could uh he's just one of those unique kinds of you know point tall point forward types that i feel like is most of people, most of the people that start following the draft, completely misunderstand what the, like what that player's path is in the NBA. So I love it when teams see it and the fans don't, just because it's you get to watch all the fans freak out and you're like, ah, if only you understood. Yeah. Um, the other name that is obvious for Philadelphia is Buddy Heald, right? Like elite level shooter. Seems pretty likely that he's probably going to be on the market, if only because he literally, according to our own Jason Jones at The Athletic, won't pick up the phone for Luke Walton when he calls. <laughs> um, that feels like a problem. So I would. I mean, yeah, if, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I would think that like an Al Horford and. 21 deal for buddy healed who is also not on a great deal by the way although i think that the healed deal is not as disastrous as danny larue does uh who was on the show earlier this week um i think that that probably helps philly quite a bit i mean as bad as healed steel might be regardless of how you feel on that replacing al horford with that money is so valuable to philadelphia just because of like how much more they need a player like heel than they do a player like horford that it like it doesn't really matter what the value is i think there like it's just it's the opportunity is just too too valuable but i genuinely i maybe i'm rosier standing a little bit more here but i feel like rosier would be a more valuable addition for them than healed would be especially because i've always been a big believer in rosier's defensive talent and his just energy level, I, I I think the energy level is something that Philly really needs. They really need a spark that just plays with 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 great athleticism and just like great desire to chase the ball and to attack the play. 
and Buddy's, you know, Buddy's a very composed scorer, but he's not that kind of guy. And like Tobias Harris is already kind of a low energy, composed kind of player. Ben Simmons, you know, Ben Simmons plays his ass off, but he also doesn't really, you know, he doesn't he doesn't bring that level of intensity. And maybe just because he was he's so stone faced, but he just doesn't kind of give you that spark. And I think that's something is just missing. Philly needs someone that's just going to be flying all over the place. And I feel like I'd rather invest in Rogier, especially because he's a two-way guy than I would on Buddy Heald. Is there a way to rope in Corey Joseph maybe to this uh, Buddy Heald, Corey Joseph for Al Horford and like Mike Scott or something like that? Like, is there, is there a way to make this work? Well, would you rather start Corey Joseph or Shake Milton as your lead ball handler? On this team, it's questionable. I think Corey Joseph is a better player right now, but mm-hmm. because of the shooting, I think that it's questionable enough that Shake Milton probably makes more sense in that lineup. Because, like, honestly, then again, I, I think that you're probably starting Ben Simmons, Buddy Heald, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, and Joel. So, like, I think that you're starting that five, not necessarily either Corey Joseph or um, Shake Milton. I would feel a lot better about Simmons being the lead ball handler if Buddy Hield is out there. That definitely helps. I mean, yeah. I, I I think Philly's problems are really just about Ben and Joel at the end of the day more than it is about their supporting cast. I think I agree with you. I think that it, it's going to be tough to make that work given how much they've roped in the rest of this roster and limited their long-term flexibility. Like the fact that you can't, the fact that you can't now go out and uh, make moves like they had been able to, to build a roster that makes sense around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid back in say 2018, when they could have done this, uh, they can't really do that now. They're, they're really locked in financially uh, under the CBA to this roster in a way that they're going to have to give up assets to really long-term assets to really change the structure of it. No. And, you know, the one thing is, I mean, they will have the, the tax mid-level, right? They're going to be tax mid-level. So they could get, you know, DJ Augustine or Jeff Teague or who, who's a less veteran guy that would be a better example of this. But, you know, they, they can they can throw $5 million at a point guard that they know at least can handle the rock, and he's probably going to look to shoot it as much as possible, but you at least know he can dribble penetrate and get the ball to Joel or get the ball to Ben, who's sitting in the dunker spot. So, you know, there are, there are some, at least some routes that they can take through free agency that can get them at least a competent guard that they can trust to handle the ball most of the time. Yeah, I kind of dig the uh, the Jeff Teague idea is like a just just someone to throw money at, right? Uh, I wouldn't give him a ton of money. I would probably go for like a lower level, like a biannual exception level deal or something like that. But yeah, I think I kind of get that one. I, I think that Jeff Teague would make sense for this roster. It's hard for me to. It's hard Reggie to find Jackson, by the cards. way. Reggie Jackson, I think, would make some sense for them. Although, again, the shooting concern and like it's not like Jeff doesn't have shooting concerns. Like Reggie Jackson, I think, makes some sense for them if he could knock down catch and shoot jumpers. Um, yeah, it, it's hard. They're they're in a bad spot. They're in a really really bad spot right now, and it's a bummer because this roster had so much potential 
over the course of the last few years. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do with their draft picks because this is a draft where you can find shooting and find guard play, especially where they are. They could come out of this draft with guys like Desmond Bain, Cassius Winston, and Sam Merrill at 21, 34, and 36. And I think it genuinely changes the way that that roster looks in such yeah, a substantial way. Trade up and draft Tyrell Terry. Solve the problem right there. Or Kyra Lewis, even. They might be able to get Tyrell at 21, to be honest. Really? I mean, sure. If you can do that, then do that. Keep the yeah. pick. Ride it out with Al Horford and you know, build you a nice point guard. But the problem is, again, though, that like I don't... They're going to have to use these picks, I think, or at least some of these picks to get off of the Horford money or to get off of to get off of some money here, because I can't see a world where they run this roster back again. Right. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Oh, well, I could. I mean, if if they can, I I would not I would not come into the draft. I I would not come into the draft without the options to to get a player that falls to them. That's perfect, because, like, if they can take Terry at twenty one. I would be willing to run it back and just really trust him to be ready to take on starting role out the gate or at least play a lot of minutes out the gate and hope that you can turn him into a good starting point guard because I'm excited about his potential. And he, I think, fits a lot of what they need. Man, I like there's a bunch of guys in this draft like that. I like Tyrell Terry a lot. I think it'd be a great fit for Philadelphia just in 2022 and 2023, not 2020, 2021. Um, I think he's going to take some time uh, just because of his body. Well, hey, like, it's fine. He's a great worker, and I think he'll be a really good player. It's just like it's going to take some time, I think, with Ty. Well, I guess that just that presents the last question with Philly, which is that they've been, I guess, because of how good Joel is and because of the process, they've been in win-now mode throughout Ben Simmons' rookie contract, which is, like, really unfair to Ben Simmons. It's too much expectation for him, even if he was the number one pick. So – can they handle another year, especially because it's the first year with a new coach? Can they hand and there's, it's no longer Brett Brown is still coaching for his job and the GM is so you know GMing for his job, I guess, or whatever we're calling out brand what he's doing. But so, can they handle another year of you know this kind of being a bridge year to them being ready to compete? Because they have so much money tied to this organization, and because they decided to rush the process with Jimmy Butler last year. I think it's going to be tough to do that. I I Mm -hmm. don't know that you can do another bridge year. I think you need to show growth from like the succeed level. Like they were this year. I think they need to show continued positive steps to get to where they want to go. I think they can do that just by bringing in a new coach and, someone slapping Ben across the face and telling him just learn how to hit an eight foot jumper <laughs> and I, that it, I hope. you know, get, get just get Joel on the beach running back and forth until he passes out and then get him to handle the ball from the elbow so that he isn't reliant on drawing a double team and then trying to step out and kick from there. Like turn Joel into more of a high post face up attacker rather than a low post guy. There's, I think there's ways that they can just continue to build upon what they're doing change their approach a little bit with doc there and show enough progress that the, cause I assume the, the only thing that really matters at this point is that the fans don't start turning on ownership to the point that they're rioting in the streets. Cause they have Embiid and Simmons locked in. They have Harris and Horford locked. Like they have their core locked in. 
Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will be back with the final three teams. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Which New York team do you want to talk about next, Jared? Um, I I, I want to talk about the team that really defines New York, the team that's the heart and soul of New York, and that's the Brooklyn Nets. Oh no, that's a <laughs> that, that's not going to end well for you. That's a that's just asking to get people very angry at you on the internet. Uh, Listen, I, I don't know anything about what Kyrie Irving's like. I've never experienced it in my life before, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man uh kevin durant kyrie irving spencer dinwiddie deandre jordan torian prince karis lavert Jarrett allen john and musa rodeon crooks and nicola or nicholas claxton nicola because i was looking at like timothy luabu <laughs> cabarro and just went for the uh went for the french a little bit early um nicholas claxton at 1.5 million. So they're sitting at about 134 million or so, I think. 
uh, guaranteed. They also have a team option on Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple is very well liked in that locker room. I'd be pretty surprised to see them like just dump that Garrett Temple option. Oh, no, lock that, lock that in. They de- with Kyrie and KD there. They really need Garrett Temple more than ever. Yeah, Garrett Temple, known as like one of the terrific humans uh, across the entirety of the NBA. Um, the big thing for them this summer is the Joe Harris contract. Joe Harris made seven point six million last year, probably in line for somewhere in the ten to thirteen million dollar range. That pushes them potentially up into like a one fifty million dollar range for their salary sheet and that's probably not something that they want to do with a team that may or may not quite be ready to contend for a title next year as they get used to playing with one another with the injection of Kevin Durant into the fold I kind of think this team is ripe for a trade involving one of Torian Prince or Karis LeVert Obviously, those are two very different asset values. The thing I've been kind of guessing that they look at is using the 19th pick to move Torian Prince's deal and then just sign Joe Harris in. I don't know that they're going to do that. That's just total speculation on my part, but that's the one that makes sense to me, at least. I mean, the big thing is basically, can they trade Levert and Jared Allen and Spencer Dewitty for Bradley Beal. Because that's what they want. And, you know, Beal's at a, a, at a pivot point with this team. And the general consensus, everything I've heard, is that Beal wants to see what happens with John Wall this year and try to pull it off in Washington. But I mean, I, I will tell you, know, you there's, it, there's no way Washington is going to do that right now. Yeah. They're, they're just not going to no. do that. So, I mean, but it, it, it takes, obviously, to, Beal has to tell them, listen, I'm leaving after this year, so trade me. And at that point, Karis LeVert, I thought, showed enough, assuming you're comfortable with his long-term health, you know, he showed enough skill that I would be willing to trade away Bradley Beal and bring him on. I think I would be pretty satisfied with that. So, you know, if this team is KD, Kyrie, and Bradley Beal, holy crap. I mean, holy crap! Very different. Three team. perfectly complementary players. I mean, what a what a beautiful trio that would be. And obviously, and obviously, we have no idea what to expect from Kyrie and KD health wise, but they sound pretty confident that they're going to be fine. So I'll take their word for it until we see otherwise. Yeah, the, the problem with Beal is that he signed that extra one year extension to potentially lock in an additional $71 million. So he's under contract guaranteed for two more years for Washington. So they really don't have to make a move on him until next summer. And I I don't really see a world where I I think they're going to want to see what they have in Washington. I I don't think that that's going to happen for Brooklyn. Uh, Maybe you could make a case that you could the the interesting one for me almost is looking at Karis LeVert to Minnesota in like a deal involving the number one overall pick. Like I would rather probably have Karis LeVert than Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball for that team. And if you're Brooklyn, it's like, can you move that number one pick onward to someone else for a different value that's like a little bit cheaper maybe than Karis? What about if it was like Rudy Gobert? 
I mean, for Brooklyn? Get rid of DeAndre in that as well. You know, you got, you know, I don't think KD wants to anchor a defense. We know how Kyrie defends. Um, Kyrie with a with a massive role option like that, I, I could see it working. I would prefer to just keep Karis LeVert, but if you know if if they're going to make a move, I, I could see that as something that's viable and like actually possible. Yeah, I think I would rather just keep Karis LeVert personally. I don't know that I see Utah like being willing to move Rudy Gobert this summer, but. You know, if things really go poorly next year, does that become a conversation at the deadline? It's not impossible, I don't think. Um, at the end of the day, the thing that makes the most sense is just moving Torian Prince and re-signing Joe yeah. Harris. Uh, I think that that is something that's a bit more likely. Maybe there's a team out there that value story and prince more than another team like he is someone that still has some uh, i don't know if upside's the right word but i think that <laughs> tory and prince can be a reasonable rotation player on a good team somewhere uh if he can really lock in defensively because he does have the jump shot like he is six foot eight has real positional size prince is not a terrible player he's definitely an nba player he's just expensive for this team and I don't even know that he's a luxury. He just doesn't totally fit their salary structure at the end of the day. You know, the thing is he's going to be 27 by the time of the season, or I guess pretty early into the season. Um, And he shot pretty well from three in Atlanta. And then last year, I think shot what 34%. And, you know, and sometimes guys just have like a down year shooting because maybe they're playing hurt or whatever. And then, or they're struggling to find their role in a new offense. And then they come back and they bounce back. So it's possible he's a bounce back season, but you know, for someone who I think from the field shot like thirty eight percent or thirty seven and a half percent overall, like it's it's just kind of painfully offensively inefficient for someone who's not that good of an off the bounce player, is not a distributor, and then his defense has been surprisingly erratic for someone who I thought coming into the league was going to be a very good defender. Uh, I don't I don't really understand what happened there, but so you know, if he was twenty four, I would feel better about it, but him being twenty seven. In March, I believe he's a little bit—he's a little too old for me to think that there's a huge, you know, a huge explosion in his trajectory coming. Well, it's really fixable things for Torian Prince. It's shooting the ball well from distance, which I think he will again. Like he's a career thirty-seven percent three-point shooter. There's no reason to believe that he can't keep shooting the ball well. Career eighty-two from the line. Like he will shoot the ball. The key for him is just engaging defensively. Uh, it's often that he gets lost away from the ball defensively and doesn't really recover well. So just being willing to have that engagement level, I think, will change things for him and does give him some real rebound potential. But if the choice is him and Joe Harris in a pandemic environment where an ownership may or may not look like we don't know what Joe Sai is thinking here. Maybe they are willing to pay $155 million for this roster, right? $160 million for this roster, which is, is an excessive amount of money. But if the choice is Torian Prince or Joe Harris, you go Joe Harris every time because he's a genuinely elite level shooter who is like a pretty solid team defender. Oh, I, I completely agree. 
Um, Joe Tsai's net worth, I believe, was $13 billion still as of 2020. So I do believe he's going to be willing to pay that tax if he has to. Um, I think he's surviving this recession quite well. So I, I just – Joe Harris is just – he's the kind of guy that teams building contenders dream of having. I just don't see any way they can let him go, especially if you're quoting his market value in the 10 to 13 range, which makes sense considering – there's like no cap space out there this year, basically. And it's right. not like New York is going to be throwing 20 million for four years at him to try to steal him away. Like they're not, they're not in that kind of position to use their cap space that way. So, or maybe that's what they do. And it turns out they're the worst franchise in the world continued. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, they're not, they're, they're possibly negotiating just against full mid level offer offers. And they all only have to give him 10 million to make him happy. And then you're locking in an elite shooter who I think has some, you know, good off the bounce playmaking potential still left and is like a perfect fit for the kind of team you're building. It just seems like it's a no brainer for them to retain them at whatever they got to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Like it, it wouldn't stun me if they end up having to go to like 13 million a year. Like if it's four years, you know, 55 million or 54 million, still a good value for them. Still a good deal. I think, um, you know, and I, then at that point, I was say at that point they would have him and Levert locked into pretty good market value deals long term. I mean they'd be they would be in great shape at that point. Right. And you know, there is some concern here in regard to how can Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Karis Levert share the ball. I, I think that that's probably the biggest on court question for them right now. I get that. I still don't really know what happened to Karis Levert's jumper. Uh, he was a career, like, he, he knocked down 40% of his threes, like, every year at Michigan. And I don't know what happened to change that. I have vague hopes that if he gets more open jumpers, he can continue to be a better three-point shooter. But I kind of am just, will. I want to see where this roster looks uh, this year. I want to see what Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris... Jarrett Allen, Karis LeVert, and DeAndre Jordan looks like. And I know that I didn't mention Spencer Dinwiddie there. I think Dinwiddie's the one that if you're looking to make a move, maybe makes a little bit more sense. The funny thing is that he makes perfect sense more than anyone with Philadelphia. But if you're Brooklyn, you probably aren't trying to help Philadelphia in this circumstance. <laughs> And what do you want from Philadelphia if you're Brooklyn? <laughs> I mean, like Josh Richardson's a perfect fit for them for what they need. Yeah. Like that, that's actually kind of an interesting deal is Spencer Dinwiddie for Josh Richardson. That probably helps both of those teams be a little bit better, but I don't think either of those teams want to help the other team either. <laughs> yeah. You're, that's actually a good point. They don't have, they don't have any good point of attack defenders in their rotation. Um, so they actually, they could really use them. I actually do love that idea. We should actually probably make some calls right now and get it going. It's kind of a perfect idea. But again, like if you're Brooklyn and Philadelphia, you're competing for somewhere in that, uh, let's say even one to six range. Uh, I don't think either of these teams are as good as Boston necessarily, but let's say that there are six teams in the East that are really, really good. And you're one of those six teams. I don't think you're trying to help one of the other ones even if this deal helps you. I mean, I admire a GM who's like, I'm willing to make a mutually agreeable trade with one of my main competitors. 
um, you know, I think a lot of I think a lot of people in the league would be like, I'd rather help myself at the expense of helping my enemy than not help myself at all because I'm confident enough in myself. But the thing is, Spencer Dinwiddie solves such a massive issue for like a fundamental issue for Philadelphia, while Richardson would be very important, but would not completely change Brooklyn's franchise the way that Dinwiddie could. For Philadelphia, right? I agree. If I'm Brooklyn, I'm, I'm not doing that deal. Um, yeah. Even though I think that it would help them quite a bit. Um, and for Dinwiddie's sake, I hope it happens. That would be awesome to see him in that situation. Oh, it'd be so amazing. It'd be so, so amazing. Yeah. I'd be all in on that. Uh, the other issue here with Brooklyn that's worth bringing up, uh, late in the year, Jacques Vaughn decided to move DeAndre Jordan into the starting lineup over Jarrett Allen for reasons beyond my comprehension. Uh, they... Jared Allen is extension eligible this year. I can't imagine a world where they extend him given what happened at the end of last year. I'm wondering if we think he is actually a very interesting trade target for someone. Well, we know he's someone who a lot of teams would love to trade for. And is there any plausible explanation for what's happening with him other than this is what Kyrie and KD wanted? They just wanted to take care of DeAndre. It just... I haven't seen anything that would indicate why this, why, why they're marginalizing a very promising young prospect for the exact same style of player who's much older is on the downside of his career. I, I don't, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. And Jarrett had a pretty good bubble as well, so maybe that will quash some of this a little bit. Bringing in a new coach and Steve Nash, maybe that quashes some of it as well. Uh, man, I, I really, really hope that they figure out a smart way to handle. Jarrett Allen uh, because his career is it's not on the precipice or anything like he's going to be an NBA player for the next decade probably but he has enough potential here that finding a good home be it in Brooklyn or somewhere else is going to be the real key to where this goes let's be clear he had he averaged in that sweep against Toronto 15 rebounds a game. <laughs> yeah, he was really good. That's he was really good. He, he averaged 10 and 15 and he he I mean he had 15 and 14 in the first couple of games uh scoring in the first uh couple of games when he was in a bigger role and then the role kind of diminished a little bit more as the series went on. But like the guy the, he's performing at a level that just doesn't explain why this stuff is happening. And I mean I guess the one thing you can say is that, well, they're stuck with DeAndre on that ridiculous four-year deal, so they have to maximize what they can get out of him. Yeah. But do you have to if you already have someone that's doing what you need at cheap? Then don't you just focus on who's playing well? And if DeAndre Jordan's a veteran, he can handle a backup role because he's a veteran? Yeah. No. I I, I would think so. Uh, I would hope that that's the way that they would think about it, but I'm a little bit skeptical given the personalities at play there. Um, anything else on Brooklyn? I, I don't really think so. If the, in, in terms of what they should be looking for in the draft, really good point of attack defenders. Like I think a Josh Green would make a lot of sense for them. I think point guard makes a lot of sense for them, honestly. Like if they do decide to move on from Spencer Dinwiddie after this season, the cupboard is pretty bare. Like, it gets it gets questionable in a hurry from the backup point guard position. And this is a good draft to pick up that point guard of the future. I 
think that they could go a lot of different ways. Basically, just don't take a center when you already have a good long-term center. One thing that would be interesting, though, is if they went for like an Isaiah Stewart type or even like a Precious Achua type, if he fell to them. But just, I guess, someone that can either be an interior scorer or can kind of fill that gap between wing and center. Yeah, that, and that play with the ball to be, in their hands. Yeah, Precious, I think, would make some sense for them just as a really kind of multi-positional defender. But I don't know. I, I think I would probably go more in the backcourt uh, range here. But we'll see what they do. Uh, I think it's unclear whether or not they'll make that pick anyway. Uh, the next team here, let's go to the Knicks, I guess. Do you, did you have one more thing? <laughs> let's go to the Knicks, I guess, as a classic. Um, I, I would just say that I guess the point I'm making there, which is the draft would be the answer, is that they do need a small ball defensive lineup for the playoffs that doesn't yeah. involve one of their centers. And maybe KD is going to just do that like he has in the past, but I'm just – Coming off the Achilles injury, I'm just a little nervous about the idea of him uh, taking on that role. But obviously, he's a seven-footer. He's a good shot blocker. He's a good rim protector. So you can certainly live with that. Uh, the Knicks here... I, I, the Knicks have so many options that it's hard to narrow down to like a functional, small statement to make. right? Because they have max cap space if they want it. Uh, or they can have they can be an over the cap team, I believe, if they want to as well, because they can retain Maurice Harkless's cap hold and sign up for all of these either non guarantees or team options like Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, and Alfred Payton. So, like, I, I'm just trying to figure out where exactly the Knicks go here because I'm I'm unclear uh, on on what their direction is going to be this summer. It could be that they decide to maintain and roll over cap space into 2021 and sign a bunch of guys to one-year deals or they decide to make a splash this summer with someone like a fred van vliet oh god <laughs> don't do it they didn't there's no way they brought in leon rose and worldwide west just so they could use their cap space on a long-term deal for fred van vliet like they they brought those guys in so that they could they could grab some major stars next year uh and that's what they should do and they should kick the can with one-year deals so that they can maintain that gap space. Um, and they should just be, they should kind of be in the process mode right now, but they're just trying to maximize their opportunity to find young talent or early, or I guess mid-stage veteran, mid, mid-stage career veteran talent that they could put around a potential core of a couple stars that they can learn with cap space. So I, I just want to bring up something real quick. The Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic in college basketball in, I believe, South Dakota has just been announced. So shout out Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic. What a what a tournament name. Um, yeah, this ain't, your, this ain't your John Deere classic. This is your Bad Boy Mowers classic. <laughs> yeah. What exactly does one have to look for in a lawnmower for it to be a bad boy? <laughs> <laughs> um it's got spikes sticking out of the wheels yeah like is that a thing right? is it like yeah. is it an attack mower is it is it like one of those <laughs> is it like a mower that you would see in a fast and furious movie it's got it's got yeah it definitely has nas we know that definitely has nas has lights under the at, under the chassis 
Um, it, it, it carves a middle finger into your lawn, <laughs> which is what a bad boy would do. Is uh, is it like the Batmobile in the Dark Knight that can like go up walls and things like that? You know what? I do think, according to my knowledge of lawnmowers, that is definitely in play. But another angle we haven't considered in this fake ad read is what if it's Puff Daddy's brand for lawnmowers? It's the Biggie Smalls should, edition. I should Google that uh, just to confirm that it's not uh, Puff Daddy's, uh, or what, it's Diddy now, I guess. Good Lord. Uh, that was that was an old, uh, old person thing. So it's an alternative and no, no, I think we're good. I think we're clear on this bad boy this is this is exactly the kind of next talk i was hoping that we'd be doing so i'm I'm glad we're sticking on topic but yeah we're clear so to your point about mitchell robinson (laughs) um yeah i guess with the knicks so here's the thing on fred van vliet if they could sign fred van vliet to a deal that is under the max right like i would not pay the max for fred van vliet they can still maintain max cap space going forward next summer so if I was them, I would consider a Fred Van Vliet deal because I think that Fred Van Vliet actually helps them a lot in terms of culture and professionalism and really puts R.J. Barrett in a better position to succeed because the best thing that the Knicks can do going forward is find a way to develop R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson into stars. They aren't there yet. They're at like that sub like elite level prospect level. I didn't have either of them in my top 20 rookie scale contract rankings. They need one of those two guys to be, for instance, what Karis Levert turned into for Brooklyn and neither of them are there yet. Well, the big question is, we talk about the 2021 free agency, but who in that free agency market is realistically attainable that you would actually want? Cause like maybe Giannis will be available, but then, you know, it's LeBron, AD, Kawhi, a lot of guys that are probably going to most likely stay put Paul George, uh, drew holiday, who at that point of his career is not going to be worth, you know, bringing in Brad Beal is the one person that could be potentially worth it. Um, then there's Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Oladipo, DeRozan, Aldridge, Griffin. It's like these are all guys that you don't want to be signing if you're trying to build a new contending team. So from that perspective, maybe Fred Van Vliet is the ideal guy because he is a good young point guard. But I feel like he has to be well below the mat. Well, I guess the question is, I, I feel like he's just not worth $28 million or whatever his max would be starting at at this point. But does that really make a difference for New York to save value there? Like, are the, is having that extra cap space going to make a difference for them in 2021? I don't really, it doesn't really seem like it would be. See, like, if I was them, if Fred Van Vliet was willing to sign a four year, $100 million deal, which is probably, frankly, more than what I would be comfortable paying Fred Van Vliet, I would still probably be willing to do that for them. Because it fits their aging timeline. He's also a guy that will be attractive to stars next year that you can acquire via 
free agency and salary cap space or via trade into that salary cap space. Van Vliet theoretically helps you improve R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, thus potentially giving them greater trade value over the course of the next year to potentially use in a star trade, uh, similar to how the Lakers used Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart to acquire Anthony Davis. So I, I think that there, there are other avenues than just looking at free agents that make sense and saying Victor Oladipo signed him up, right? Um, I also think that there's a case that they could look into making swinging a deal for someone like Victor Oladipo early if they want to go that road. Maybe try him out for a year see if he is worth maxing and going from there. Like, I think that the Knicks have a lot of options. It's just trying to determine and narrow down what they want to do. And to me, Van Vliet is a good kickoff point, given that he actually doesn't hurt their long-term flexibility that much. Yeah, and I should say, now that I have the cap sheet up, they currently have $26 million committed for the summer of twenty one. It's just Julius Randle. So um, I guess it would get a little... It would. It would go get a little bit less when you consider R.J. Barrett's team option, Kevin so, yeah. Knox's team option. Well, well, realistically, the Julius Randle deal is non-guaranteed that year. I think it only has like $4 million guaranteed. They have the R.J. Barrett right. money. Let's say that that gets locked in. That's 8.6. Um, they have the Mitchell Robinson money at 1.2. So, or 1.8. I think I'd take that. That's a team option. And if they decide to decline that team option, they would maintain his restricted free agency, which his cap hold is pretty low. I believe it's going to be like under $2 million for a cap hold. So regardless, you can have a crazy amount of space the next summer if you sign Fred Van Vliet. I would, pro- I would do what I can to, side Fred- to sign Fred Van Vliet without going overboard in terms of what you're paying him. All right. You've talked me into it. And it's just um, a fit. Like he, he helps them from a scoring perspective. He helps them from a leadership perspective, he helps them from a defensive perspective. Like he, he just does a lot that I think really makes sense for them. And I mean, I'd love his fit there for sure. And we're assuming that Detroit didn't give him a max offer in the scenario. I don't Wait think so the the real question to me what, is what is toronto willing to match up to right and i guess there, we have to leak into our toronto preview at this point right what, if you're toronto what why would you let why would you let him slip away what do you have as a potential option in the future besides Giannis, of course that you think would be worth letting him walk away from just because of tax purposes yeah, I think that the Giannis option is like a real one that they should consider. Um, it gets tricky for them if they do decide to sign Fred uh, because they would then have to, in the summer of 2021, if they look at Giannis, and look, the Giannis option could be off the table by the time the... Um, summer or the off season begins. Right. Because like theoretically Giannis could sign a super max and end this. Right. And if that happens, I don't see a world where Fred Van Vliet's getting away from Toronto. Right. 
that's true. But he's not. Uh, there's no indication he's going to, that Giannis is going to do that. It definitely right. seems like this is going to play out. And Giannis shouldn't because Milwaukee with Middleton struggling you know, or being inconsistent and Lopez aging. And, you know, like Milwaukee's not in a pretty situation. Yeah. And Milwaukee's looking to make moves so that they can try to entice them, like trying to trade like Eric Bledsoe for Chris Paul or something like that. Like they're going to, they're going to try to do something drastic here. So they're going to, I just don't see any way that Giannis doesn't at least wait to see how things play out over the course of the off season. Is there a world where Giannis sees the uncertain financial situation and decides to sign it? Oh, interesting. Um, He's still only, he turns 26 in December, so he could sign it and still be in like a pretty good spot to hit free agency again. I mean, he's, he's making 25 right now. He's making 27 and a half next year. So he's 26 right now. He's already making a lot of money that it's not like this deal, his entire future hinges on this deal. Like the guy's already made enough money that I don't think he, I think he's willing to take the risk. You'd think so. He also has the deal with Nike now. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, if, if we woke up, I don't think he's going to sign it at the end of the day, and that comes from more just me doing logical um, analysis, much like you are. I think there's like a world where him signing it, there's a case for it at the end of the day. Like, I, I think that I mean- it's not impossible he signs it. I mean, like, Giannis would have to have, like, a shark bite his leg off for him not to get a max offer once he hits free agency from everybody in the league. So, like, he's he's in, yeah. he's in a Kevin Durant situation. He could tear his Achilles, and he'll still get a max deal. And he just yeah. saw that happen with KD. Like, he's I th- he's a two-time MVP. I think he's confident that the money's not going anywhere. And he's already got enough of it that if, you know, anything really crazy happened, he'd be willing to just take a year at a at a reasonable rate on a one-year deal and or a one plus one deal and then sign a super max from there. Yeah, you're right. And he's so good. He might it's just probably right. one plus ones. Yeah. He might just one plus one at the rest of his career. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. I'm just saying, and like, look like he loves Milwaukee too. Like I'm, I'm saying that like we, we, we often think that we know the motivations of these athletes when at the end of the day, different things motivate different people. And We'll see. We'll see what Giannis does. But if he doesn't sign it, I think Toronto needs to maintain the cap space um, to look into him as an option long term, which means that there's only a certain level. I mean, they could theoretically max Fred Van Vliet and then they'd have to get off of like the Norman Powell deal and get off of. um, uh, I think they might only have to get off the Norman Powell deal. Because what you'd be talking, yeah. let's say twenty eight million next year for Van Vl- or in twenty twenty one twenty two for Van Vliet. So you're talking sixty million between him and Siakam plus a um, what would that cap hold be on Ananobi? An eleven million dollar cap hold for Ananobi. Man, they still don't really quite have enough there to get Giannis at a max. It would be slightly. I guess they would have enough to get him in a max, but it'd be a really, really tight fit for the rest of the roster. And they'd have to dump the Kyle Lowry cap hold. They'd have to dump everything that they have going forward. Uh, other than yeah, Ananobi, a rookie and Siakam. 
Yeah, you're not touching Ananobi. I'd rather have Ananobi than Prime Michael Jordan. We're talking about OG Ananobi here, so you can't mess with that. But you know, the thing is, like, people got to recognize. You know, I I've got some family that they're they're really smart people. They're big time Raptors fans, and they live near the uh, Greek neighborhood on the east side of uh, Toronto. I think it's east side of Toronto, right? And they're like, oh, but Giannis is going to come to Toronto. He's going to see the Greek neighborhood with the Greek food. He's going to want to be here. It's a cosmopolitan city. It's like the dude lives in the cheese curd capital of America right now. If Giannis wants good Greek food, he will have somebody fly over some Yodos from Athens. Like, he's Giannis. He's super rich. He's super famous. Like, he can transcend whatever city he's in. For him, it's about the basketball situation, obviously the compensation, and you know, and the, the caliber of life and his family being happy. That's what he cares about at the end of the day. I do think Toronto can certainly deliver on that for sure. Um, and but, there is a, there's a long-term yeah. relationship there with him and Masai as well. Exactly. That's a big part of it. So the basketball situation, which is obviously more than just on the court, it's the people that he's working with, you know, that that's a big part of the sell, but the, the quality of the Eros is not going to be the selling point. Yeah. I think there's something to the idea of just like being around positive culture and being around a positive environment that you can't necessarily get in certain cities. But at the end of the day, I think that these decisions are going to be made based off of basketball and based off of who he's most comfortable with uh, and who he trusts to make positive decisions for his basketball future going forward. I would imagine there's some pretty real trust in Masai Ujiri, and I think Toronto's going to be an option. I think that Milwaukee's certainly an option. Uh, Miami has been discussed recently. Like I, I think that it's open still. He could end it by signing a Supermax, but I, I don't know that he will necessarily so we'll see what happens with Giannis here going forward and what does Nike have to say of course I mean that's a plausible outcome here too that they will certainly matter in this discussion as well um getting back to I guess that we've kind of morphed the Knicks and the Raptors here because of the Fred Van Vliet of it all I guess like let's kind of close the loop on the Knicks here to me, it is really simple. Like they need to just actualize RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson going forward while also continuing to build a culture of positivity. And I think that Fred Van Vliet would help that. Are there any other names in free agency, maybe for a one year deal or something that makes sense to you? Uh, Garrett Temple. I would just give him all my cap space, I guess. Um, I mean, the, you know, the question is, you know, bringing in guys like Garrett Temple, you know, that's, that obviously is nice, but can you build culture through bringing like, can you build culture by bringing in a vet that's there for one year? Or do you need to bring in someone that's kind of a permanent part of the landscape there? Like, like you're seeing with Fran Van Vliet. So I I don't know if, I don't know if culture setting is going to necessarily come from the players. I think it's going to kind of come from the bench and from the front office. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom Thibodeau is there now. They've got Kenny Payne, who's known to be someone who is uh, a very positive source of culture uh, with Kentucky over the course of the last few years. Johnny Bryant has obviously been a very good developmental coach over in Utah with the guards there. Uh, I think that those guys, you're right, will play a much bigger role in this. But uh, nonetheless, they do need players that can actualize on court development for their young players and for the guys who will be their core going forward, uh, getting wings. Like if you're willing to overpay a Justin holiday for a year, if you're willing to overpay like a Mo Harkless again for a year, just bring him back if you want to. Um, 
there, there are guys that I think make some real sense here uh, for the Knicks on a one-year deal to help their uh, to help their young guys be actualized and to help them potentially not only get better for a future with the Knicks, but also look better for a future in trades. And, you know, there is all, there aren't very many guys that are worth investing in right now in this free agency. Christian Wood could be one of them. There, there's definitely a path that they could go down where they pay Van Fleet, they pay Christian Wood, they tell Robinson and RJ Barrett that they both have to be all NBA players because this is it. Um, and then they hope they can get one more all NBA caliber player in free agency next year. And then they have like a, a pretty well-rounded core of supporting players around a potential superstar offensive hub in RJ Barrett and whomever else they can try to attract in free agency, like a Bradley Beal type. And that doesn't, that doesn't have the kind of, you know, clear, championship top out formula that the Knicks keep holding out for, but that does sound like a team that could turn into a really good playoff caliber team. Am I like, you could tell me Christian Wood gets anywhere from like 9 million next year to someone like drastically overpaying at like 18 million. And I would believe that like, I I have no idea what the number is going to be for Christian Wood. It could be like five. I mean, well, there's going to be some team with a mid level that would pay him, but Christian Wood just kind of came on out of nowhere to the point that you're like, is was this just a crazy flash in the pan? But if you watched him, he looked pretty awesome, and he's a good defender that could probably be your big and can shoot the three really nicely and runs well in transition. I mean, he's seems like a pretty complete player. Like I, I would really love to have him on my team, but like, yeah, paying paying 15 to 20% of your salary, I guess 15% of your salary cap to a player like that, you have to have some other guys that are going to be real good offensive creators around him. Yeah. Over the last half of Christian Wood season this year. So from like Christmas onward averaged 16 points, seven and a half rebounds, uh, a block and a steal per game, basically while shooting 54% from the field and knocking down over a three per game. If you reduce that number down to like his final you know month and a half. So February and March, 22 points and nine and a half rebounds per game while shooting 56% from the field and almost making two threes a game. So yeah, I don't know. Well, that's man. the big thing is they they well they it's because once they got rid of Drummond, they were able to put him into position to succeed, and he crushed it. So right. that's why his you know his overall year sounds like a guy that would be a really good mid level signing, be like a Jeremy Grant level signing. But he was phenomenal. But while he was phenomenal at the end of the season, he also was kind of getting most a lot of usage on a bad team. So you know it wasn't like it wasn't like he was a key. Yeah. yeah, on a bad team that wasn't playing for anything, and I don't think the defense is all that good, to be honest, right now, but we'll see. Uh, you, genuinely, you could tell me anywhere from 9 million to like 18, and I'd be like, okay, sure, sign me up, Christian Wood, baby. <laughs> like, uh, I don't even know, I don't even know. Well, you can always trade for John Collins if you don't want him, so... Oh, they'll be available. Um, I don't know. Will John Collins be available? That's a good question. I well, I don't know. I mean, he, John Collins is a, is certainly available, but will he be moved? That's definitely a different question. Um, but 
I get people asking me about John Collins on a daily basis, basically. So it definitely sounds like there's a lot of smoke coming out of there. I don't know. I'm I'm less convinced. Like if I was Atlanta, I would probably just sign him. But we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens with Collins. Um, they definitely should. They definitely should try Collins this season. I would not tr- unless there's like an amazing opportunity. I would not just dump him for the sake of getting out of paying him. I would definitely wait until the deadline and do that. Yeah. Um, let's go to this last team, Toronto here, Toronto. I think that they should just kind of run it back for a year, right? They have Kyle Lowry. They have Norman Powell. Um, if they can sign Fred Van Vliet, like that'd be a dream, but they already have Siakam and Ananobi as well. Uh, both Marcus Gasol and Serge Bakker are free agents. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Uh, uh, Serge, I would want to keep after everything I saw from him in the playoffs. Uh, Mark should enjoy retirement at Barcelona, although he denies that. But I think it would be perfect for him to go to Barcelona at this point. Uh, and I, I just, I don't think they need Gasol anymore. It just, you know, Abaka is playing well enough that it just doesn't make sense uh, for them to keep him. Um, and then Norm Powell's good enough, I think that, or generally has been good enough that I think they can survive losing Van Vliet and move him into the starting lineup and still try to contend for a title this upcoming season. Assuming Terrence Davis is going to take a big step forward or continue to progress, which who knows, he didn't play that much in the bubble. So I don't really know what to expect anymore out of him. Yeah. For me, I would do what I can to resign Van Vliet. Basically I would try and run this back on as short of terms as possible. Like I would probably give Serge Ibaka an overpayment one year balloon payment. I would try and resign Fred for a long-term deal so that he can be the transition point guard. Uh, after Kyle's a free agent next year, um, he can be the point guard of the future for them. He fits everything that they look for from their ethos. They have Siaka Mananobi, hopefully Van Vliet to build around as a culture. I think that that's a very, strong selling point for free agents going forward uh if not for this year necessarily um yeah i I would rather bring back ibaka than gasol i agree uh i I didn't really understand the case that some toronto writers were making that mark was good in the playoffs i I don't think that's true unfortunately in the playoffs yeah i I didn't talk about playoffs yeah I know they still have Chris Boucher as well. Who's a restricted free agent this year, but I would imagine they're going to try and bring him back by the way, kind of a sneaky underrated guy for teams to maybe sort of target if they're looking for a cheap center option. Um, Terrence Davis, like you said, like this, this is a team whose internal culture and whose uh, overall continuity in terms of front office, in terms of coaching staff now, I think that that's really going to help them just kind of weather whatever happens here. But I think that the move for them is in all likelihood to try and run this back on as short of terms as possible. Like if they can bring back one of Ibaka or Gasol, hopefully bring back Van Vliet on a long-term deal, maybe try and bring back like Rondé again, they're probably going to be fine and they're going to be at the top of the East again. Important question. Why the hell does Stanley Johnson have a player option? I don't know. Good, good agency. The Scoop Sipe have that wrong. The Scoop Sipe have that wrong. How is that possible? No, he's, um, he's a player option. It's it's good agency work. Wow. I don't even know who Stanley's agent that's, is, but that was good work. Yeah, that's incredible. So 
they're stuck there because it's a shame because they I, I I'd imagine they probably are going to get to the tax line if they're able to keep Surge Van Fleet and Boucher. Um, maybe they can get a little short of that, and of course, the I mean, not not keeping Gasol would make that a lot easier. But I would love to see them go out and have the full mid level and get somebody like Justin Holiday. I feel like he would be you know a great fit for them to have just another uh, just like one more wing defender to go next to Powell, who I feel like is mostly a guard defender, OG, who's maybe the best wing defender in the NBA or certainly pretty close to it. And then Siakam, who doesn't really play in that role very often, but certainly could do it when he needs to. I just feel like getting somebody like that would be great for them or somebody that's a ball handling scorer. Obviously. I mean, if they lose Van Vliet, then they're almost completely out of those guys and they will desperately need somebody like that. But I don't really see any, guy on the market that's worth paying the full bid level to for that maybe you know taxman level will be worth it it's a tough it's a tough spot for toronto like they, they really they really want to keep things on as short of terms as possible but there are worlds where i think that they should try to be in the mix for some of these guys um who could be upside plays that could be mid-level targets too if they can't sign van vliet things get interesting for them in a hurry uh, then, like, you really do, I think, look at, like, a, you know, like a Christian Wood or something like that as a semi-longer-term option. And, well, the, and the important thing for them is, like, is getting older, Kyle's in his mid-30s. Like, you, you, realistically, you've got Siakam is relatively young, OG's very young. Those are two great foundation pieces that you can completely start over and build back around those guys if you need to. So either way, most of their core guys are aging out. Lowry, who's like their MVP by a mile, as we saw in the playoffs, he's aging out of his career. He's not going to be around for that much longer. And so they have to prepare for the fact that they're going to have to pivot and rebuild to a degree at some point. So if you can get Giannis, you might as well just do what you got to do to keep that option open because that's your one chance at staying at the top and being possibly the best team in the NBA. Otherwise, you're gonna have to you're gonna have a decline pretty soon in your future. Yeah, uh, it's not like an easy spot for Toronto. It's actually like a pretty complicated deal. The lucky thing is that they have Masai Ujiri, who is one of the smartest people working in basketball. Period, uh, running the show for them. So I would imagine that they're in good hands. But it's it's not an easy it's not an easy deal for me right now i don't think that i don't think they have like a great option for the 2020 2021 season it's more i don't want to say biding their time because i think that they were like a legit title contender this year it's more just trying to find ways to almost like continue that forward under the shortest terms possible well i guess you know the one good thing is that i think lowry that's the lowry had the last two years were the best years of his career, and I'd be imp- I, I expect him to still be good next year, but I'd be amazed if he continues to be this good next year, just considering his age. But Siakam could not have played worse in that second round series. Yeah. So that was not your best shot because you had an all star playing like the who was the worst player on the floor in that series, and yep. he was you know so you have you still have a much higher ceiling they still if they run that team back they still can win the championship next year um 
and, I, and last thing, because this podcast must be on, on hour three by now, but we didn't actually talk about what is Fred, Fred Van Vliet really worth in a vacuum. What is he worth to a team trying to bring him in? I mean, we talked. You talked about the superlatives about him that I agree with, but we saw we saw in the playoffs that he is guardable at a high level, and they did. The Celtics did a good job of taking him out of his rhythm, and he had some really, really inconsistent performances out there where he showed he can get to some really good stuff, but he's not going to be able to carry you throughout a game the way that Lowry is. At least at this point, you know, he's got time to really. He's not in his prime yet, but. I am a little skeptical that he's such an elite shooter that it's going to make up for the size and the lack of pop and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Fred's always going to be like the third or fourth best guy on a team. Um, yeah. I think that's his best role, right? Like if he goes to the Knicks, he immediately becomes their best player. But that's probably not like an immediately great team either. If he's going to be on a good team, he's probably going to have to be the third or fourth best guy. And that's fine. But those guys are worth a lot of money now. And if you're Toronto, I don't see a world where you're getting out of this without having to pay at least 480. And I think that the Knicks are going to push this pretty high. And I think that another team to watch for is like if Phoenix could get up to like space, they were involved in uh, Fred Van Vliet last time as well uh, when he was a restricted free agent. I would imagine that they would not mind having Fred Van Vliet on their roster. I mean, that gets in the way of them bringing in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, but I do see what you're saying. And he would be a great compliment to Booker. That would be like a perfect player to have next to Devin Booker. Right. Like I talked about that with Danny LaRue on the last podcast. Like you put Fred Van Vliet in Mikhail Bridges next to Devin Booker. It really insulates everything for him defensively and allows him to just do whatever he wants offensively in such a substantial way that it's it's a perfect fit for me. If I was Phoenix, I would be working whatever channels I have to do to do that. But man uh and deandre Aiden behind them i mean holy crap that would be amazing <laughs> right it, it gets tough though if you're f- toronto i think to get this deal for under 20 million a year uh, i i would be pretty stunned if fred got less than 20 million a year and i think you're probably talking closer to 25 at the end of the day yeah I thought a hundred. I I always thought four years a hundred was like his most likely end up uh, ending value. But of course, there's very few. There, there's like almost no bidders. There's barely any bidders out there. And if those bidders are saying we're not signing long term deals this year, then he's negotiating against. He's just negotiating with Toronto. There's not a bidding war for him to get leverage. So you know that I, I think Toronto would probably. They're not going to be like all right, Fred. Well, since we control the market, we're going to offer you four years, you know, forty million. Like they're they're going to. They're going to do right by him, but they're you know they could offer him something as low as four years, seventy five million. They could get you know it could it could get even lower than that if there's no market for him. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's not like Atlanta's going to be sending him that money. Yeah, I don't think you really it, want to get crazy with it. I don't think Atlanta sends him that money. I don't think Charlotte sends him that money. You could maybe make a case Toronto or not Toronto, uh, Detroit. I'm sorry, decides to yeah Detroit. Yeah, be the one that, that's that's a team you know they're gonna yeah. offer him four years 95 i would guess yeah and like like i said phoenix i think is the big one like if phoenix can find a way to get max cap space that's one where you can very easily make that work 
and uh, and you would know because you talked to the man himself. But Danny, Danny would certainly know. Are we going to see the same kind of fluidity and and cap uh, that we saw last year? Where last year every team had max cap space because every team was able to work out a sign and trade. So it's like cap space was kind of just like a a figment of imagination. Is that same thing going to happen this year? I would imagine not, but it's possible. No, I don't think that it will. I think it's going to be more uh, 2021 is when the cap space really gets gets fluid again like that. Yeah, and that's real cap space for the most part because nobody has any contracts left at that point. Right. So, uh, Jared, please tell the people where they can find your work and all of that jazz. Yeah, I I just leave all my work out in the Sydney Harbor. And so if you're in any hotel adjacent to the Sydney Harbor, you can see it there through your window. (laughs) uh go to the athletic keep jared and i employed uh i will be back probably later this week i might do a little special uh podcast with a guest Uh, i haven't i haven't fully figured that out yet uh in terms of what i'm gonna do but i think i'm gonna be back later this week with another podcast so until next time we'll talk soon bye